0: Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of the Share Life Podcast. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, and today we're doing a book discussion with Eric Eccles. Eric, say hello. Hello. Great to be (laughs) on here with you, Jason. Uh, Eric wrote a book called The Passion. I uh I saw that he um he posted about it on Facebook, I don't know, a couple months, several months ago, and I saw it. I'm also working on a book about the passion, so I said, <laughs> I gotta talk to you. <laughs> um very different types of books, and we t- can discuss that. But uh me and Eric met um years and years ago, it could be twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years ago. Um we uh through some connections we had through the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce, we both had a mutual friend, uh Dave McMullen of Red Pepper. Um, uh, Eric at the time was at Cross Point um, church, which is also in Gwinnett. And, um, and so he was there and we got connected, we met and, uh, had a few interactions and then kind of disappeared into our own respective journeys. But this book sort of brought us together. So here we are yep. talking about his book, The Passion. And the sub headline is exploring the final week of Jesus life in Mark's gospel. So. Eric, thank you for uh for sharing your uh book with us and I'm looking forward to talking yeah, about absolutely. it. Before we do, tell us about your story. Um I hear you're a pastor. So how did it all start? I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am a pastor. So I uh I actually grew up in Metro Atlanta in Gwinnett County. Um uh yeah. became a Christian at 16. Never thought I would be a pastor okay. at all. In fact, I went to UGA to get my undergrad. Got an undergrad in marketing, and uh, thought that okay. was what I was going to do for the rest yeah. of my so life. So both marketers, and, uh,
0: yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Just and so, um, but, that's, but we're
0: also both we're also both pastoral because whether it's in the marketplace or formally in a church, we are Christians are all pastors, right? <laughs> in some way, <laughs> that is a fact. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yes.
1: We are absolutely one hundred percent all all missionaries and all pastors. And so, yeah. yeah, And so that, so I thought I would use that, that gift and that, 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 you know, that pastoral ministry in the marketplace. And that's really what I thought I would do for the rest of my life. And, Mm -hmm. uh, God obviously had different plans. And so 25 plus years ago, uh, he called me to be a pastor. And so, um, that's what I've been doing. I've been pastoring several churches and, um, mostly in, in, in an executive role or a teaching role. and then uh, for the past five years have been the senior pastor of a church in the Augusta area.
0: Okay. And what was the types of roles you had before being the senior pastor?
1: Yeah. So I, um, so I spent about a decade in Gwinnett County at a a church called 12 stone church overseeing, um, their children's ministry and next gen ministry for several, they were a multi-site church. So I oversaw several campuses and then, um, from there we were at cross point where you and i met and that's where i was a an executive pastor overseeing the entire staff and um and then for 7 years after that i was a teaching pastor uh at a church in in um in Fort Myers Florida where we did a team teaching there was a senior pastor and myself and we shared the teaching responsibility on sunday mornings
0: okay yeah so how did yeah. you make the transition from that to senior pastor, what was, what was that like?
1: You know, that was, um, I just really sensed that, that God was, um, was leading me to become, step into that role of a senior pastor and, and, uh, to, you know, instead of being in the second chair to kind of slide over to the first chair of leadership. <laughs> and, um, uh, and you know, we, my wife and I just started praying about it and, and seeking where he was going to lead us. And, um, and just through some different connections and, uh, you know, knowing different people and just kind of telling people, that, Hey, I'm, you know, maybe interested in this. We got connected with the church that we're, we're at now. And, um, somebody sent over my resume and we started having conversations and, uh, that kind of one thing led to another and here we are five years later.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, let's say there's someone out there that feels thinking uh getting a sense that God is calling them to to be a pastor. How would you help them yep. navigate uh that call that is that what's being called of them or not?
1: Yeah, so I think that um that's a great question. I think that that really just kind of walking with that person and saying, okay, let's talk about what the what you're sensing God calling you to. Um and because I've I've had people feel like have talked to me in the past and said you know I really feel like God's called me to be a pastor and I said well, well tell me tell me what that means and what that meant for them was they wanted to be more um, impactful in their in their ability to communicate the gospel or to um, you know to to lead people to Christ or to te- talk to people about Jesus and things like that and so um, you know because I, I tell people in our church all the time that when God called me into Called me to be a pastor. He actually called me out of the ministry.
0: Yeah, and what I mean by that
1: is, the people in my office are Christians. You know, yeah. they. Yeah. I work with Christians all day, and yeah. um, you know, so there's uh, most of the ministry is done outside of the walls of the church, and so yeah. my role is to is to equip the church to do ministry where they live, work, and play, and so that would be the first step for me is just navigating. Okay, do they feel like God's calling them into that equipping role where they would join a church staff or be a senior pastor and yeah. then equip the saints for the work of ministry. Or do they feel like they just need to be the equipped <laughs> for the work of ministry? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, in, in <laughs> yeah. their own context. And so that would be the first step. And, um, you know, and then from there, I think that if, if someone in my church, uh and we we just had a uh a twenty something year old guy that's done that 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 feels God calling him to ministry, just finished his undergrad. Now he's starting seminary. So we're a little bit further down the road with him. But one of the first yeah. things we did is said, Okay, let's step into some other areas of leadership. And um, you know, let's let you not just uh you know, not just do ministry tasks, but let's put let's empower you to lead in certain areas. So that's what we started yeah. doing. We we got him involved in leadership. He's actually preached for me a couple of times. He feels called to be a senior pastor and, to, and a teaching pastor, and so um, we've I've coached him in that and, and have allowed him to do that several times at our church. And um, our church is incredibly gracious, you know, I, I'm, for you know the the for him to be able to do that and and to fulfill that call.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So how does that tie into this book? How does becoming a pastor, uh, tie into this passion book that we have before (laughs) us here?
1: Yes. Yeah. So that, that book was actually birthed out of a, of a series I did on the gospel of Mark several years ago. So I think it was 2021, um, maybe coming out of 2020, coming out of the COVID season. I, I started preaching through Mm. Mark's gospel and, um, and so as we were going through that gospel, I was I was particularly because Mark devotes one third of his gospel to the passion. And so his is the shortest mm-hmm. gospel, 16 chapters. And the third of it is the final week of Jesus's life. So obviously, the passion is kind of a big deal to Mark. <laughs> and yeah. uh,
0: and well, as I, I was. I, well, it's a, go ahead. Yeah, it's almost like. That is the main part and the other part, yeah, that, just yeah. the sort of context of it <laughs> right yeah the the all the other stuff
1: is just proving that what he's going to do on the cross is legit, <laughs> yeah, you know, all the miracles, all the teaching, all that stuff is just saying, yeah, everything that Jesus does on the cross is for real, um because yeah the, yeah the 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 passion is obviously the heart of heart of Christianity and central to our faith um but uh. But so the book kind of was burnt out of that. I, I was I was looking for really practical um, uh, writings. on, And there was a lot of technical writings, like a lot of stuff dealing with the Greek and all this other stuff when I was doing looking for some resources in, in Mark's gospel and just didn't find anything that that anyone, you know, somebody who may not know the story as well, may not know the the passion story as as is. As, mm-hmm. um, as, as deeply as mm. you know, someone who's a pastor or been to seminary. I didn't yeah. find a lot of those type of resources. So, um, so this is like, a I wrestled with for for, someone
0: like to really introduce the story to them. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's yeah. what I wanted to, it would, to write. It was, to my
1: life. Correct. Yeah. I wanted something yeah. that somebody that any Christian or anybody, even the, they're curious about the faith could pick this book up and say, okay, now I've read it. So I, I can understand, um, the, the passion in a, in a clearer way. And so that was really what I set out to do. I wrestled with it for about mm-hmm. a year, um, year and a half of, of, of doing it. And so, um, and then finally kind of bit the bullet and started writing and, and, uh, but that was my goal was to say, okay, what, what could I give to someone, anyone, whether they're a, a new believer, someone who's exploring faith or someone who's mm-hmm. been a Christian for decades and just never really Dove deep into the passion. I wanted it to be both have the depth, um, but also have the understanding and the simplicity for anyone to be able to read it and understand it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I from uh, the one the book that I'm working on for me, the audience is. um, I'm really writing to it's a it's a different audience, and so thus it'll be a different book. But it's um, oriented towards someone who's disillusioned with, with life and also, uh, someone that is, um, disillusioned with the church. So what do you do when everything fails you? (laughs) Everyone fails you. How does the passion (laughs) talk to that person? So that's the story I'm writing. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of my, part of my writing style has to do
1: with the, the audience that I preach to every Sunday as well. You know, um, I've got people that are in our congregation that are brand new to the faith. I've got people that are exploring faith and I've got people Mm -hmm. that are um, seasoned believers, and so I'm trying to communicate mm-hmm. to them each and every week. So yeah. that naturally flowed into the to the type of book that I wrote.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, um, why Mark? I mean, there's four gospels. <laughs> um, what's the difference here? I
1: I love Mark. Mark is kind of like the the step brother of the gospels, if you will. Not to say that tongue in cheek, but um, you know, Mark's the, <laughs> it's the shortest gospel. It's It's uh, he doesn't deal with like Matthew and all the history of Judaism and tying the Messiah into the Old Testament. He you know he's doesn't have the flowery language of John and just you know the poetic nature of 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 John and you know the and the the technical writings of Luke being a doctor. Mark's just like this fast paced to the point. This is Mm -hmm. what it is. You know it's it's um you know if you many scholars believe that Mark was uh. Was uh, basically Peter's gospel um, because okay. Mark had worked closely with Peter, and if yeah. you read through the gospels, you know Peter. Peter's just like straight to the point guy. He's like a man's man kind of dude, and just you know just says what comes on his mind, and and that's part of why I love Mark's gospel. Is that he just it's it takes out all the fluff and all. Not that any of the other gospels have fluff. I don't mean it that way, but just like he's just like bullet very points. Concise. Yeah, very concise very, um, you know, fast paced. He just moves from one event to the next, just, um, bam, bam, bam. And so I, I just fell in love with Mark's gospel when I was studying it, uh, over the years. So it was like, um, and so when I set out to write this book on the passion, it made sense just to write it from Mark's perspective. And the fact that he does, you know, a third of his entire gospel is devoted to it. So he obviously yeah. spends a ton of time, um, writing about the passion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're kind of we're in a season, an era in America particularly um maybe the West as a whole um of confusion, right? Yeah. And so I recently heard Tim Keller talk about the importance of catechism in the modern age and I think it had to do with just the idea of being in an age of confusion and having clarity. So my overall impression right. from your book was like it was almost like a catechism going through it, like <laughs> at least and from the passionate um aspect of it but i'd be curious what you think of that if you agree with it um tell me more about that connection
1: yeah well i mean i you know i um i love luther and and luther wrote a, ro- a lot about catechism and and really the i mean catechism comes from the greek word to teach and so that's more my bent is to be a teacher yeah. um in my communication <laughs> style um but I do think that that a lot of confusion and a lot of um, uh, you know even even the the you know disconnecting from Christianity I think has a lot to do with people's misunderstanding of what it truly means to follow Christ, mm-hmm. um, and so I do think that that more and more people, especially in our age, need as we move further and further away from um, modernism into postmodernism. And and as we become really a post-Christian nation, um, I think that there's a there's a lack of understanding of just basic instructions from the Bible. You know, where fifty years ago, you know, everybody kind of at least had I mean had an idea of what the biblical truth was or what the Bible taught. You know, um, even going back to my family, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, My dad became a Christian later in life, um, in his forties. But even growing up as a kid, I remember there was at least some kind of knowledge of the Bible in our home and a mm-hmm. respect for it, and kind of my parents understood enough to to you know to to be able to have a conversation about it. But but now as we've moved to this post Christian um, phase of of the West, in particular, I think there just needs to be uh, uh, those that catechism idea. Um, which I know Keller and, and, um, Kevin DeYoung and a few other guys have put together. I think it's called the New City Catechism. Uh, okay. Which is a, which is a resource that I've recommended to people to, you can put it yeah. into like an, I think they've got an app or something in a website that you can put on your phone and, and kind of walk yeah. through the catechism just to get those basic understanding of biblical doctrine and truth and, and be able to establish that firm foundation. Cause I think, I think part of the, the people, the reason people fall away or feel confused is they, they're standing on a, on a sandy mm-hmm. foundation. The foundation that they have of their faith is not firm. It may have been their parents' yeah. faith that they're built on or somebody else's, but they need their own foundation. And so, um, so I do, the, yeah, I could, I could definitely see where you could catch, uh, kind of that catechism element of, of this book, because I did want to give everyone a solid foundation on what the passion truly encompasses on what it truly means
0: yeah yeah i think to your point about the postmodernism, i i get the impression that you know maybe 20 years ago the question was is there a god is christianity true and now that's less important it's like it maybe there is a god maybe there isn't but is that god any good is is he yeah. worthy to be followed yeah. And I'm looking around a lot of these Christians, and they don't seem to be very good. So maybe this God they talk about isn't good. So maybe I should look elsewhere. What would what would you say to to that dynamic? You think that's oh, a oh, I would
1: one? I would say yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a a huge aspect of of why people you know because I, I do think you're right. And be even being a pastor over the last 25 years, you know, and having conversations with people, it was it was. When I first started out in ministry 25 years ago, it was, you know, is is God real? And now it has definitely shifted to, um, okay, I don't even consider whether God's real or not. All I got to do is look at these Christians and say, well, they're no different, or they're, you know, they're. I don't see any of the fruit of yeah. the spirit. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know, self control. None of that's existed <laughs> in their lives. So why why would, I, why would I want anything to do with that? Um, so I can absolutely see that. Um, you know, and I think there's just a, a need for, for, for Christians to, um, to, to really themselves understand what it means to follow Christ. You know, yeah. the, 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 the best analogy or metaphor that Jesus gave was to abide in Him. And, you know, if we're not abiding in Him, how are we going to bear any fruit for Him? And, um, mm-hmm. and I think that, that abiding piece is a piece that, that we stress a lot in in our congregation because um you know as we abide in Christ then we're going to actually live like Christ and um mm-hmm. you know i just see so little of that among christians uh today when i when, and and i think that's part of the you know part of the culture we're in um i think that's part of the the i think that's part of the the movement with the, in the church in the you know probably the last 15, 20 years of, of kind of getting away from more of that, that catechism type of teaching, you know, yeah. where it's not, it's trying to kind of, you know, felt needs and, and preach toward felt needs or, you know, things like that, as opposed to, saying, no, this is what biblical truth says. And yeah. then does, does it speak to our needs? I a hundred percent believe it does. Um, but I also believe that there's just biblical foundation and truth that needs to be taught uh, in, 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 but before we even get to those, the the needs that the scripture teaches to and speaks to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Another connection I I noticed, at least I think was, um, I, you know, I'm a dedicated reader of Oswald Chambers and I got the impression a few things you said kind of sounded like him. Are you also (laughs) an Oswald Chambers reader? I
1: have, I was introduced to Oswald Chambers when I was Oh, gosh, I must have been sixteen seventeen years old, a brand new Christian um, so I'm sure that i mean i I can't tell you how many years I've read through that devotional um, It's one of those my utmost for his highest is one of those that I'll probably go back to uh, every three or four years and read through it again. Um, yeah. so I have no doubt that there's there's some influence in there because um, I just love the way he can take some some deep theological biblical truths and make them applicable to your life, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I'm, uh, you know, I, I've never really thought about the the book in that context, but um, now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, I've, I have no doubt that his <laughs> his style of taking deep truth and making it, you know, putting it on the lower shelf for me to be able to pick it up and understand <laughs> it definitely, <Yeah. laughs> definitely influence uh, his influence. is Definitely in that book. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to pull out some specific pieces of your book and um, discuss them. All so right. this, this first one is, um, uh, so I'll go ahead and just read the, the quote. To trust in God means we have to stop trusting in ourselves. It is only when we realize that we are weak and can do nothing apart from Jesus that we will learn to lean on God for strength. So tell me, uh, tell me more about that. Um, it seems a very timely quote, um, because I think particularly as Americans, um, and particularly at this time in America, uh, we definitely, um, we trust ourselves. I mean, even the cynic, the cynical among us, they may distrust everybody else, but they still trust themselves. (laughs) They haven't distrusted themselves. Right.
1: Um, Right.
0: So tell me, tell me more about that. And, um, and how that contrasts with our dependency on God, yeah,
1: so I mean, kind of going back to what you're saying i mean the, the even the cynic, you know i mean what is what does everybody say in our culture these days? What is my truth, you know yeah, and why do they say that? because they trust in themselves, you know if I'm leaning on my understanding on my truth, then I'm trusting in me, and yeah. um you know the the more I trust in me the 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 I realize just how what a terrible that you know terrible thing to put their my trust in is me because my heart is deceptive and it will lead me uh in in directions that i don't you know that'll take me a path i don't want to go so yeah the whole idea of and it goes back to that abiding uh piece that i was talking about earlier that we are you know when we trust in when we place our trust in god and um and stop trusting in ourselves that's really what abiding is all about it's it's about Having our strength and our and our um, you know aligning all of our desires, it's really about yielding every aspect to Him. Um, you know, we I think one of the challenges in, in especially in America, and and you see this influence in Christianity is the whole idea of being a self-made man. And mm-hmm. you know, we 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 strive in America for independence. You know, we celebrated in on July Fourth our Independence Day. Yeah. And I think we've carried that same mentality into following Christ. You know, yeah. um, I mean, I, we're, we're at a stage in life where all of our kids are moving out. Um, yeah. you know, and it's funny because when they were little, the whole goal, this is the goal we've been, we've been, you know, that they would be independent from us. And then Christianity comes along and turns that completely on its upside down and says, no, you know, you're, stri- you're not striving for independence. You're striving for dependence and yeah. um and i think that's the, and it just flies in the face of everything that uh that that we're ca- we're taught as a nation we're taught as just our human uh desires for independence and yet god calls us to dependence not on ourselves but upon him
0: yeah yeah i think um i think there there's an interesting dynamic i think when you have a society like ours that's so large um, it allows for people, particularly with power and influence, to exploit others. Yeah. And because our, because I'm not just like my own person living in a tribe in a village with a small group of people in the middle of nowhere, where I, where, where there's a direct connection, um, I think that exploitation can happen sometimes for years or decades or longer. And so I think sometimes there can be a, a felt sense of, of helplessness. I feel helpless. Cause I'm in this society that is, that has abandoned me. So there's like a true um, brokenness that has affected me, but I think it distorts our desire and our need for that dependence. Right. Cause it's like, well, Hey, I was dependent on our society and it let me down. It failed me. So I can't trust it anymore. So how, how would you talk to that person?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that, and that is so true because you know, you're, when you're talking to that person, what they've done is they've said, okay, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in something bigger than myself, society, mm-hmm. the culture around me, you know, the, the, I mean, you know, any institution, whether it be politics or whether it be, you know, I devoted 20 years of my life to this company. I hit an age and they just let me go or, um, you know, what, not many people do that anymore, but you know, there, there are several folks in our church that did spend, you know, the majority of their career in one job in one workplace. And then they're thrown to the side. And so they, they are like, okay, I put my trust in something bigger than myself. And so now that thing let me down. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm working and fighting for number one now, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that that's, that aspect of that creeps into our Christianity as well. That creeps into yeah. following Christ, you know, and, um, You know, you've had people that say, well, I prayed and I asked God and He didn't answer or he didn't answer the way I thought he should. Or he didn't stop my loved one from getting cancer. I was trusting him in that, Um, you know, and, and I think it's part of it's just continuing to to help people understand and drive towards dependence. I mean, that's you know, I go back to the 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 prayer that Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, and he says, you know, he teaches the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells the disciples to ask, seek, and knock. And the whole idea of that ask, seek, and knock, or those verbs are actually, what it actually means in the Greek is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So there's this whole idea of continuance, and, and um, you know, I, I think about it from the standpoint of myself, like, for me, it'd be a whole lot easier if God would just say, you know what, I'm going to answer your prayers as soon as you pray them, you know, one and done. That'd be great. (laughs) But I think that part of that, part of the reason Jesus said that we're to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking is because all of that is pushing us towards dependence. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to the person who is skeptic or the person who's put their trust in, in something other than themselves, but, but, you know, perhaps not God, um, I mean, I still, I think the, the same truth is there that you have, you know, it's, it's, it's not about depending on just something bigger than you It's to put your complete trust in God. And that includes putting your trust in his sovereignty, understanding yeah. and realizing that, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. And we won't understand ever, we won't understand why, uh, he does a lot yeah. of the things he does or allows a lot of the things that he allows. But um, you know, that's where we just have to come back to yeah. trust.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing that comes to my mind is when you say all that is in terms of the example I gave, if we put our trust in society, it will or a church, could be anything, or a spouse or a parent, they will fail us. Like it's inevitable. Oh, absolutely. And I think that might reveal to us, yeah, that our that our dependency is misplaced, um, that it should Mm -hmm. be God first. And then through those things, it may play out. Right. And so I don't know if that would be a form of idolization where I've idolized society in such a way that when it fails me, it like, it hurts me deeply. Not that it shouldn't hurt or that I shouldn't grieve that. But if our, if we're anchored, like you said earlier in our relationship with God, um, we one could, would expect that. And two would, would navigate it maybe differently. What do you? What do you? Yeah, think absolutely.
1: That? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think that. Um, you know, I tell our church all the time, do not put your trust in me. You know, I mean, I'm. Yeah. Please do not. You know, do not trust him. You know, because I because you see that even in pastors, like, well, you know, um, yeah.
0: I'm going to knock myself well, off the pedestal as much as I right. can. Right. <laughs> yes. Let me just do it yeah. for you because
1: the reality is I'm going to tell you. <laughs> You know, I'm going to hurt you. I mean, that's just part of human relationships. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I tell, I tell them that all the time. And, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, and I think that, that I think it's okay to grieve those and to, to be able to navigate through those. But, but you're right. It's, it, it has to come back to anchoring, our, anchoring ourselves in Christ in Christ alone. And, um, you know, the, yeah. and I think so often it's, people anchor themselves in Christ plus something else. You know, it's in Christ yeah. and the yeah. church or in Christ and my relationship yeah. with the pastor or in Christ yeah. and you know,
0: fill in the blank. Yeah. And I think that's just a dangerous yeah, my aspect. My ideology, my political ideology may be first and then my right. religion of Christianity second, right? So it, yeah, it's absolutely uh, submitted to it. But I the other yeah. thing I think that, about too is um yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, after you. Go ahead. Okay. You know, I just think about my own journey, placing my trust in external forces, external people and the society and the system, being let down and then kind of going inward, like trusting myself. And then <laughs> that's where I think perhaps people that are going, that are in the stage of trusting themselves, but nobody else, um, maybe because this, I I experienced failing myself so utterly badly that I realized how little I could trust myself. Yeah. So um, maybe that's just the experience we all have to go through.
1: <laughs> I think, I think there's, a, I think there's a lot of truth in that because I know that, you know, in my own journey, I mean, there's times where I've, I've, uh, you know, trusted in, you know, I mean, everybody's been hurt by someone in the church you know or some, or some other yeah. organization or some <laughs> other entity or, and, you know, and I know that in my own journey, um, you know, I had to realize, like, they're just as human as I am. And uh, and then, but yeah. I think our natural tendency is to pull back and start trusting in myself. Well, I mean, I, I failed myself far more miserably than any other human being has ever failed me. <laughs> and So, um, yeah. you know, and I think that's just a, I think that is that pattern of realizing, you know, okay, now I've got to get, now my trust has to be back in the Lord <laughs> and not in myself.
0: Yeah. So that kind of ties in, like I mentioned, the ideology. You have a quote, um, our nationality, ethnicity, and political party should all take a distant second place to our identity as disciples of Christ. This perspective can help us maintain a Christ-centered focus in the midst of political chaos in our world today. And I obviously, I think immediately of the disciples, particularly um, Peter and Judas, who they're following Jesus, but their ideology seems to uh, rise above their followership. Um, Peter's willing to sort of take take the sword, and and Judas is so dis, <laughs> disillusioned that he betrays Jesus. Um, yeah. But they're both trying to use Jesus for their political control and power plays. So tell tell us more about this quote here.
1: Yeah, so um, so th- that that quote comes from a section of the book where I do where Jesus is. Is challenged and there's several challenges and one of them is a political challenge, um, you know, and and it's uh, and and they they try to trick him and get him to say something against Rome is basically what's happening in 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 the story and because um, they know if they can get him to speak against Rome then then the then the Jews don't have to do anything with him the the Roman the, the, the Roman, <laughs> the the Roman take government. Care of the yeah, yeah they'll take care of the problem, and so um and you know from there we I do talk about the fact that I think that a lot of um especially in 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 the last several years and 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 really, I think it can go back even into the eighties with the religious right. I don't think it's just you know the last four to eight years, I think it goes back further than that where um you know where where we tried to to marry religion and Politics in a very unhealthy way. Now, I think mm-hmm. Christians should absolutely run for office if they feel led to. I think they should vote for their convictions, I, all of that stuff. But I do not think that we should attach Christianity to a political party whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but if, if you look, I mean, we're getting ready to hit a political season, and yeah. every political party will tie in some form of Christianity into. You know, if you vote for, if you vote Democrat, you can't be a Christian. If you vote Republican, you can't be a Christian. I mean, it's like, okay, which yeah. one is it? Well, the yeah. answer is neither. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is we follow Christ and Christ alone and not a political party. And, you know, and I just see, I just see that, um, you know, that becomes such a stumbling uh, block for people when it comes to following Christ because that political ideology often comes before their, their Christianity even. Um, and then on the flip side, I think people that are from the outside looking in, they look at the church and they're like, okay, you know, you're attaching yourself to these politicians who are immoral or whatever, or, you know, they don't always live up to the values of, of what we would, what, what a Christian would be. and And you're just like, Um, And I think it just becomes a a place where we have to go back to what Paul taught and said, you know, where he taught about this, this, the idea that, that even our nationality, our ethnicity um, is second to Christ. Yeah. Um, You know, we are Christians first. We are, we are citizens of a, of a new kingdom. And that kingdom is not America. And that kingdom is not republican and that kingdom is not democrat that kingdom is god's kingdom and that's where our citizenship lies and that's where our allegiance must lie and i think yeah. that's the challenge i think it really boils down to allegiance and oftentimes yeah. our especially during political seasons our allegiance tends to look like it's to a particular political party versus the kingdom of god and to following christ
0: yeah, and I would say that the allegiance thing is really interesting. I think the the allegiance is um, it could also be the person in the party as well. And um, I read this book um, in the last year called "Ruling Oneself Out," and it's about collective abdication of of. Uh, in particular, it talks. It goes into the story of how the Nazi Germany, the Hitler and the Nazis. I didn't realize this, but they actually took over, um, took power over legally. It wasn't a a violent overthrow. It was a legal overthrow. Yeah. And the book explores the last kind of, um, bulwark, which was a vote to, to give the part, the Nazi party full control. And essentially the, it was the centrist party that ended up voting for the, with, with the Nazi party, they essentially gave power to their political rivals and the book is exploring that idea and one of the ideas it talks about is what's called ideological collusion which is kind of in our vernacular is the word the the word voting for the worst of two evils i pick a worse evil because i think the other evil's worse and yeah. um or it could be um i vote for this person because they're going to punish my political enemies or mm-hmm. i vote um for this person because um, I don't believe in the alternative enough to fight for it. And so it's a really interesting thing. And I've kind of been kind of for my own sake, like trying to figure out how to how to sort that out with the idea of sometimes you do have to work with your political rivals, um, but you also don't want to collude with them. So what's what's the line between them? And that's something I've been, been wrestling with. And I think it's about def- clearly defining what you said, allegiance. What is my allegiance yeah. to first and foremost And second, what are the lines that even um, if I am partnering with someone, if those lines are crossed, it breaks, it breaks um, partnership. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it may. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And I think that's, and I think that's where, to me, allegiance is the right word for me because, because of the fact that, you know, there's so much, um, polarization within politics these days you know um Mm -hmm. and 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 if you're you know there's no longer there's no more discourse because people and and i believe the reason is because their allegiance has gone to whichever political party they adhere to and so if your allegiance is to that then yeah, anyone that's not aligned with you is now your enemy as opposed to hey we can have different views and you know Christians can be on both sides of the aisle and we can have conversations because the reality is that on the majority of issues we agree, there's just a few that I tend to vote this way or that way, but those conversations are not even had anymore. I mean, we can't even have those conversations in the, in the polarization that we're in. And I believe it comes down to the fact that, that our allegiances have shifted from, you know, first and foremost, our allegiance being to Christ. And they've shifted to, especially during political seasons, they've shifted to the, you know, to, to whichever political party you adhere to. And yeah. I think that's just such an unhealthy place to, for, for specifically for Christians to be, because you're right. If, 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 you know, the, I think we should be able to part, I even take it from not taking it out of the context of politics. Um, there are churches in our town that we have, that we partner with to serve our community we don't all believe the exact same thing and we have different practices and we can partner yeah. together and we can, we can, you know, pull our resources to, to have an impact in our community. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and if, if now there are some that they, 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 they may cross a line doctrine like, okay, that's not a, not a church I'm going to, you know, our church will partner with, but those are few and far between. Um, you know, when you boil it yeah. down
0: to that. Yeah. So I want to shift um, a little bit further in the book. You talk about the punishment of our sins. And at that yeah. moment in the garden, Jesus knows he will bear the weight of every sin, every evil, every pain and hurt that humanity has ever known or will ever known. In that yeah. garden of Gethsemane moment, um, it's really fascinating to kind of think about it, study about it, read what others have read, you know, have um, we we get limited information. So we have to speculate in a lot of ways. But I, right. But yeah, tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, that's the moment where Jesus is in the, in the garden. He's praying. He's asked his, his inner, inner circle three to go with him and pray. They sleep. And then he's praying and he's asking the Lord to, 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 to let this cup pass from me. And the yeah. cup that he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath. And, um, you know, the garden of Gethsemane to me is one of the most sacred and one of the most somber, uh, events and scenes in the entire Bible. Because you have this sacred moment with Christ and 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 our Heavenly Father asking that the cup be removed, and yet Jesus saying, Not my will, but your will be done. And um, you know, and I believe he's in such agony and such pain because he understands that drinking from the cup of God's wrath means that he's going to take upon all of our sin. And um, you know, and it's such a, a powerful moment because you know, one of the, we don't like to talk about our sin that much, and we don't like to talk about the consequences of mm. our sin, but it was but realizing and understanding that it was our sin that caused the, cry, the cross to begin with, that if it weren't for our sin, Jesus yeah. would have never had to die. And so, um, yeah. you know, and, and then it comes back to that question. Well, you know, how could, how could God, um, you know how could a loving god send his own son to the cross or how could a loving god you know um uh, uh, allow anyone to go to hell or how could a loving god do anything well to me the 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 passion in the in the the cross and god's wrath prove his love because if god were the reality of his wrath highlights the fact that he loves us that much it highlights the fact that he was willing To give his only son and allow Jesus to die for us, that's how much God loves us. To me, that is what an incredible picture of God's love, but we don't get that picture if we don't understand God's wrath and the fact that sin has to be punished, that that in order for us to have a relationship with God, in order for us to be reconciled with God, our sin must be atoned for, and God loves us so much that he took that atonement upon himself that he died on the cross for our sin. And that's just a, man, it's such an incredible, um, picture and, and shows, I mean, if you ever question how much God loves you, just go look at the cross and it's that much that he's willing to take the wrath of, 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 of our sin upon himself and to atone for our sin through his death. I mean, that's, um, you know, and I think just understanding that and just to me, what it does for me is it gives me a, a a brand new, fresh picture of God's love for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing I would add, you know, which is part of the tension in the garden is this mission that Jesus is going on is not an un- is not unwilling. He is in collaboration, right. he is in partnership with God the Father and the Spirit, correct, and together they're going to the cross, and so it's not like he's nope. being dragged kicking and screaming in that regard <laughs>
1: oh, right right. yeah, and yeah. when he when he prays, you know, take this cup he's his prayer is not um that sin doesn't need to be atoned for it's yeah is if if there's any other way you know because he knows
0: mm-hmm.
1: he knows the yeah. that he's going to take upon that separation from you know cuz our sin separates us from god and jesus knows in that moment that 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 he's going to take all that weight upon himself and yeah. uh that's a that's a that's a mighty cup to carry and uh yeah and you're right it's not a it's not a, he's not doing that kicking and screaming he's like you know if, if there is a if there is any other way knowing yeah. that there you know th- th- that he's he's submitted to the father's will regardless
0: yeah I, one of the things I think about when I think about that concept is a way to visualize it is the end of Wreck-It-Ralph, where that, the volcano, the light kind of attracts all the bugs <laughs> to destroy them. And Wreck-It-Ralph is going into the volcano to sort of um, to ignite it so that it can do that. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of a visual that I think about in terms <laughs> of the sin being attracted to that, to that moment, yeah. to the perfect yeah, sure. person. And you said this oh. earlier about just kind of our own disillusionment with maybe the church or, or Christianity, but, um, and this is perhaps an American gospel um, that we've uh, unfortunately bought into, but Christianity, it is something Andy Stanley said um, in a message a couple of years ago. He said, Christians don't believe in a God um, that doesn't allow suffering. In fact, we believe that God allowed the worst possible thing to happen to the best possible person. Absolutely. And so it's now it's like, okay, that's how it is. Now I have to wrestle with that, right? And um, mm-hmm. and I think we have bought into that false American gospel that's more of a prosperity type of thing. Like, hey, if I do the oh, right absolutely. things, I pray the right things, I won't suffer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jason, all you need to do to have the best life ever is just come to Jesus and everything will be great. <laughs> Except Jesus never said that.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with well, that. Well, that gospel. Yeah,
1: and and that's In one fact, of the beauties he said if you of I do love. Come to me, you will suffer. That suffering is yeah, part of exactly following. There's Pick an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations for a reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and and one of the things I love about the uh, the um, I think it was the Bible Project talked about the the wisdom series. You got uh, you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and it helps to provide a more complete picture. Yeah, there's wisdom that if you live certain ways. There are principles that, you know, lead to a better life. Oh, absolutely. Um, but there's also, you know, you gotta read Ecclesiastes and you gotta read Job because it's not the full story. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely.
1: Well, I mean, like there, you know, right now there's a lady in our church. She's a mom of two boys, both in high school, and she's battling cancer, and and it's it's mm. metastasized and it's come back and it's come back with a vengeance. Um, and. You know, but I was talking with them on this past Sunday and, you know, taking all those those wisdom principles from Proverbs and Job, like they're living that out. Yeah. And, you know, the, like life is hard right now, but they're suffering well. And because they're suffering well, they have peace that passes all understanding. Like they have a joy in the midst of suffering. Um, you know, so all those things that, that, that we talk about, you know, providing us the, the abundant life Jesus talked about. I mean, she's even told me, like, we, and her husband as well, like, we're living, our life is abundant right now. It's hard. Suffering is real. You know, this disease is, we're battling it. We're fighting it. But yet, in the midst of that, um, cause we all suffer. I mean, everybody suffers at some point. Everybody goes through tragedy, mm-hmm. trauma, difficulties. But, being a Christ follower and abiding in Him allows us to go through those things in a way that other people can never go through them. There's no way anyone apart from Christ can go through those type of that type of suffering, um, you know, the the way this couple and this family are going through it. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, no, that's right on. That's one of the dynamics that I want to speak to in my book is is Hey, we all suffer. You know, here's here's another way to go through it. Um yeah. yeah and uh and in fact, you know, we can we can also make our suffering worse um for ourselves <laughs> and others. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and so that's that's not a good. And I think that's a lot of what happens is like we kind of almost out of spite. Like if I can't if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to make everyone else suffer with me, you know. And yeah, yeah what is that? Provides the the, wh- other,
1: the opposite of that. What is that adage? Hurt people hurt people. You know, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people, people want to, if they're suffering, they want others to suffer with them, um, in unhealthy ways, yeah. not, not, not in the carrying each other's burdens ways that Paul talks about in Galatians, you know, which yeah. is what we are to do. We're to come alongside one another. Uh, but what, yeah. what people tend to do if they're suffering, you know, in an unhealthy way, they say, okay, here's all my burden. I'm just going to dump it on you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to jump to one last quote and then we'll wrap it up yeah. here. Um and i can relate to this because you know i was born in 84 and grew up in the 90s um and the left behind series was a big thing um you know the end times <laughs> was a big thing and but it was kind of a terrorizing thing it was like a scary yes. thing that made uh that traumatized me more than it it scared me more than it uh needed to and it failed to really contextualize it but you say this nowhere in the text does Jesus encourage his followers to engage in fruitless speculation about the timing of his return, the identity of the Antichrist, or to try and tie current events to the apocalypse. So tell us about that.
1: Sure, sure. absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I I grew up and I was born a little bit before you, but I also grew up in in the eighties and the uh, I grew up in the eighties, and so back then, you know, the goal in in a lot of church was especially with it. They carried on into the nineties with the, you know, when it came to, um, uh, particularly dispensationalism and the, the end times. And, you know, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, we went to a church that did this thing, a Halloween alternative called the chilling fields, which was a walk through revelation. And the whole purpose was just to scare the hell out of you, uh, literally. <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, yeah, um, but, you know, when you look at the text and you look what Jesus taught, um, you know, he says none of that. He's he's like, I am going to when I return, I am coming back as a king and I'm coming to rule in my kingdom. Um, you know, the imagery he uses and because and, he could have when he, you know, in his Olivet Discourse, Jesus, Jesus could have easily laid out exactly what we need to know about the end times. Um, but he doesn't, and he doesn't for a reason. Um, because we would, we would be speculating. I mean, we do, we speculate about it now all the time. Um, you know, well, this political leaders that must be the Antichrist or this guy's the Antichrist or this, you know, this is the, if this happens and then that happens and then, you know, like, no, what, what Jesus told us to do is to be prepared as the, as, as like a bridegroom for your bride to return. And that preparation is what we're here to do now. We're to be his ambassadors while we wait for his return. And as his ambassadors, we're, we are to be sh- spreading and sharing the good news of his love and grace and mercy through the cross uh with those around us. And that is the calling that we have. The calling is not to get out charts and, and try to de- design and devise, a, uh you know, when he's going to return. Yes, we believe he's going to return. But when he comes back, he's coming back as king. And our role right now is, as we wait on him to return, is to be his ambassadors. To wait on him as the bride is is the bride waits for her bridegroom. And that, I mean, that's you know, I think so. All, man, so much of the speculation and the and all the things that, especially in the eighties and nineties, with the left behind series, which you know, don't even get me started on the theology of those books. But.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, one thing it is helpful for me because going through that experience and then I, I see that others, it's interesting because I think now the secular world and is doing the same thing. They're just using different um, types of apocalypses. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, so it kind of can contextualize that and also help to understand those and help people in that. But yeah, that terror thing is, uh, is um, you know, fear being terrorized, Having fear, being terrorized and then being manipulated, um, I think is a big part of the political um, landscape that we're now in. And um, um, I I think some of that is like it's going it seems to me like 2024 is going to escalate and exacerbate that. Where both sides are, it's like the end of the world if their side doesn't win. And it may be, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, it hasn't worked that but, way out yet. But, but, but uh, tell us it could be years. another blip. Yeah, it could just be another blip <laughs> and four years go by and the worst, you know, it's really rocky. I mean, it's interesting because I, uh, in the 70s, uh, I obviously wasn't alive, but I have learned about that. There were uh, there's a lot of political turmoil in the 70s. Um, yeah. apparently between like 1970 and 1973, there was 2,500, 2,500 bombings across the U S and the Capitol building was bombed. Like, like yeah. there was a lot of craziness, you know? And then you, so I think studying history, just American history, uh, I read a book called <laughs> dominion by Tom Holland, just studying the the church's history over the last 2000 years. Yeah. Like it contextualizes some of this, like, yeah, it could get bad and it could get worse. And but it's also been really really bad so don't delude ourselves into thinking that um um like it hasn't been bad and now all of a sudden it is oh, yeah. going to be bad well, yeah then, and, that's, and I think you're you
1: know, that is a, that is absolutely true i mean it's you know it's not like we can look back and say well those were the good old days no the good old yeah. days were bad
0: and some of those good <laughs> old
1: days were really really bad, you know? yeah and the reality is when i read scripture like it's not going to get better before mm-hmm. jesus returns you know, to me, that's the that's the reminder. Is like he mm. doesn't say it's going to get better. In fact, when you go and read through his Olivet discourse, he says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be families fighting against one another, which you know, to me, implies civil wars. There's going to be uh, disease. There's going to be pandemics. There's going to be natural disasters. I mean, he he yeah. literally shows everything that is happening in our world and has happened since you know his ascension um and is going to continue to happen till his return yeah. it's not like we're going to go back to you know the the these <laughs> yeah. you know so called good old days no he Jesus actually says before i come back all these things are going to happen so for us to expect anything less than that um you know is is a vain attempt at, at uh you know subverting reality
0: yeah and i think that's the power of the resurrection is we have an eternal perspective right. that gives us freedom. And that's what freedom is, is, is is that I don't have to be terrorized by this political party or that political party or this person or that person, maybe in my day or my boss, right? Because I could lose my job and my life isn't over. Um, right. but without that eternal perspective, without that allegiance to God to a higher transcendent, um, and losing my job is a much bigger deal, right? Or Absolutely. losing our country is a much bigger deal, right? Um, not yeah. to say they're not big deals, but no, no, it, no, no one, wants to proper... no one wants
1: to lose our job. No one wants to lose the freedom we have in our country. Um, you know, the, the, we yeah. have this privilege that that the majority of the world doesn't have, and none of us want to lose any of that. But you're right. Yeah. When we have that eternal perspective, we realize that if we lose all, if we lose everything, even our very lives it's not the end of our life. You know, yeah, that's what Paul beginning. said for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. You know, yeah. that, that's the perspective we have to go into. Um, you know, especially coming into a political season in 2024, you know, it's one of the worst times to be a pastor.
0: It's <laughs> during <the> political seasons. <laughs> Maybe you should just shut down for 12 months. <laughs> I th- exactly. I think I'm going to retire. Going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, going on a year no, long. No, long that's probably long. when you're needed <laughs> most. So,
1: it is, um, it is, not for sure.
0: So any final thoughts? Uh, how can people get this book? Um, what are you, anything you want to close out here with us? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to pick up the book. It's on Amazon. Um, you can find it on my uh, link to it on my website, um, uh, which is Um You know, and, and I just, I really appreciate being able to talk about it. I mean, this is, the the passion of christ is the heart of christianity i mean it's it is yeah. it, it, apart from the cross and the resurrection um our faith is in vain and so to to be able to regardless of where you are in your faith journey whether you're exploring faith or new believer or seasoned believer i think just uh, reorienting yourself to the the story of jesus's passion is is crucial Um, you know, I, I tell our church all the times to preach the gospel to yourself every day, remind yourself of the cross every day. And, uh, you know, hopefully this book will be a small way to help people remember the cross and remember what Christ did and, and how we can preach the gospel to ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. Now, if someone's interested in going to your church, like where, where would they need to live and, and who would be a good person to consider going?
1: Yeah, so um, we're in Evans, Georgia, which is uh, right outside of Augusta. It's Kind of, I guess, a suburb of Augusta. Um okay. It all runs together, just like everything in Atlanta runs together. But um, we're in we're in Evans. Uh, our church is Freedom Bible Church, and um, anybody's welcome to come check us out and join us. We'd love to have we'd love to yeah. have you.
0: Cool. We'll put links to that and all your uh, other other things. Are you active on social media? Obviously, we connected on Facebook.
1: I am. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm more active probably on, uh, on Twitter than I am Facebook. Yeah. But, uh, um, that's, that's usually where I I do, um, do a lot. I I write, um, pretty regularly on a, on my website. Um, I usually do a weekly blog. It's either something about leadership or church ministry or Christian living, that type of thing. And so I, I, I usually post at least once a week on there and just, uh, you can definitely catch that and, and uh, keep up with uh, with me there as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate you yeah. sharing uh, uh, your insights in this book, and I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. Look forward to reading your book too when it's out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I will. I will it's been a long journey. So, <laughs> all right. Yes, I understand. <laughs> all righty. Recording stopped. We're done. Still recording. We are never done. <laughs> well, it's like man, Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm sure. Take me. I really appreciate it, man. It's
0: fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it went by, went by quickly. It's like an hour. It did. Yeah, in a blink I, of an I, eye. I yeah. we're already in an hour. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.